I'm Caitlin. And I'm Shelby. And this is Finding Gavin's Voice. A disability advocacy podcast building community around open conversations. Hello, this is Shelby. I'm here today with Kayla, and we may get to hear from Krista. So Kayla is a therapist and also a mom of an adopted son and two other children. And her son, Hakeem, is on the spectrum. And she and I are just going to discuss a little bit about what life has been like with a kiddo on the spectrum coupled with starting public school and the adoption and foster care side of the story as well. So Kayla, if you don't mind, would you tell us a little bit about uh, your career background and how Hakeem came to be a part of your family? Yeah, definitely. I have been a licensed profession counselor for almost five years now. Um, I work in a school setting actually grad school, I went to the school counseling track and then decided that I wanted to be a licensed professional counselor instead. So I switched over and went ahead and got licensed. I was still housed in a school for three of the years. And then when COVID hit, I decided just to do telehealth. When I worked in the school, most of my clients ended up being foster care kids. That's kind of how I got Hakeem working with them and hearing their stories. I was like, and like these kids need like good homes. And me and Krista had known we always wanted to foster, but it was going to be after we each had our own, like carried our own biological children. And then we would foster and probably adopt. But I heard one story about a kid that needed out of his foster home. And I told Krista, like, we gotta, we gotta get this kid into a different house, even though like, even if he's coming to our house, And I ended up taking him on as a client instead. So we didn't take him home, but then decided like, okay, if we're ready to open our house to this kid, like there are hundreds of kids that needs home. So like, it's time to do it now. So we sped through the process of getting licensed to be foster parents. And we got the call the day we got our approval that a little boy named Hakeem needed a home. It was our first foster kid. And (laughs) didn't you say that? As soon as Krista learned that his name was Hakeem, she knew he was the one. I remember she was on her way home from work and the agency had called me and was like, hey, you guys are licensed. And then immediately called me back and was like, hey, we have a potential placement for you. And I could see her pulling in the driveway and I was like, okay, like Krista's pulling in right now. I'll talk to her and we'll call you back. And so we called her back and Krista was already ready to say yes to like fostering this kid. And when we called her back and she said, the little boy's name's Hakeem. And Krista goes, oh my gosh, we need him. And was just like so excited. And she was like, that's our kid. That's our kid. That's our kid. Before we even met him. That's so yeah. sweet. I mean, his, his name brought him home. <laughs> How fun. It did. It did. So at the time, I know he was really young. He wasn't, he was just barely a year, not even a year, right? Yeah. He was exactly eight months old when he came to us. Did you know at the time of any potential challenges in his development or were you just concerned about like potential trauma that he may have experienced up until that point? Um, I was definitely more concerned with the trauma. Like I said, most of my clients were foster care kids and I, I heard of the trauma they were dealing with day in and day out. But, and so I was prepared for him to have trauma, prepared for him to be in mental health counseling prepared for him to have like possible behavior issues, things like that. But when we got him, he was just kind of like a blank, just blank. He never cried. He didn't really smile. Like 
everyone was like, he's such a good kid. He sleeps through the night. He never cries. He never like, he's just content to just lay there. And like, that's not good signs. (laughs) Kids are supposed to cry. Kids are supposed to want to be around you. Kids are supposed to like be sad if you walk into the other room. And the first couple of days that we had him, like he smiled maybe once or twice, even when the foster family that brought him to us, like was passing him off to us. He was just completely content to come to me and Krista then like no connection to that family who had had him for I think a month but um that family and the caseworker had told us that we were his I can't remember if it was sixth or seventh home and so by the time he was eight months old he had been passed around that many times which of course as a trauma therapist I'm like oh my god this poor kid doesn't know that people are supposed to love him He doesn't know that people are supposed to be happy to see him. Like, like my brain just went crazy of like, oh my gosh, we have to, we got to get this kid help. We have to love him. We have to do all the interventions to get him caught up because he wasn't rolling over. He wasn't sitting up by himself. He wasn't like attempting to babble at all. He literally just laid there all the time. So at that point, did it take, were you interested in PT or physical therapy or occupational therapy? Were you going that route to help him get caught up? Or were you just trying to be the most hands-on parent ever? Yes, we were just the most hands-on parents ever for the first little bit. Um, And he, by his first birthday, so four, we had him for four months, and then it was his birthday. He had started rolling, crawling, pulling up on things, started to smile a little bit more. And I think by his first birthday, like taking a few steps, but like not walking fully. And then because he was in foster care still, they wanted us to do um, Sooner Start. Right. So I think we did his first Sooner Start eval when he was 15 months old, I think. And they're like, yeah, he's, he's right on target for everything now. Like he's, he's good to go. And he had started kind of saying different words and we're like, okay, good. Like we're good to go. Like he's, he's on track developmentally. Everything's great. And then we had asked his, he had a parent teacher conference at his daycare and they're like, yeah, he's like, he's kind of honoring, but he's right on target. We're good to go. And then COVID happened. So he quit going to daycare. We kept him home and he kind of just like stopped progressing. And we we're like, okay, like, okay, maybe it's COVID, like everybody says, but he would right. take him out of daycare. He's not really around peers. Naya was only just born when COVID happened. So she was still little and not like interacting with him. And then it was right before his second birthday that we were like, okay, like trauma and autism mirror each other, like very, very closely. One day I'd be like, oh yeah, it's for sure trauma. No one talked to him his first eight months. Like, of course he's not going to be talking a lot. Of course these things are happening. And then other days I'd be like, oh my God, he's like, it's a hundred percent something else. Like we got to get a eval and some like something we need to get some extra help. And then back and forth, back and forth. And finally we're like, let's just go get an eval. Like it's not going to hurt us any. And so I think it was right before his second birthday that we took him to the developmental pediatrician and she spent like maybe 30 minutes with him. And was like, yep, he's autistic. Here's, here's how you get qualified for assistance. Here's this, here's this. And just kind of like, Yep, he can have speech and OT, and that was it. Wow, it's yeah. 
scary how quickly, because with Gavin's evaluation, the paperwork that I read, it all, it had me terrified to even go in because it was, it'll be a two hour test and you're not allowed to be in the room and this and that. And then I get there and it was mostly me filling, filling out surveys and her watching him play. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't as traumatic as I was expecting it to be for me because it was pretty laid back. Yeah. And then of course she suggested that we do a more full evaluation when he's communicating more just to see if they can gauge where his cognition is at, but it's hard to tell when he's not speaking or communicating in any way. He doesn't really point at things or anything that can help you determine anything beyond that. He wants a snack that he just brought you. Yeah. Yes. So after you realized that he had some delays and you were interested Mm -hmm. in an evaluation, took him Mm -hmm. through, they diagnosed him with autism at that point. Was he already doing speech and OT or did you start speech and OT at that point? That all kind of happened at the same time. I don't really. Right. I think it was all like within the same week. So they all started at the same time, the speech and OT. Gotcha. See, I remember Gavin's timeline pretty well, but the difference Mm -hmm. is, is I have one two and a half year olds and you have (laughs) three (laughs) under five. So yes, yes, right. Like it, I don't even know how it's to hard to remember. Hakeem is four, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep, he just turned four at the end of May. But, you know, you guys will be <sighs> empty nesters fairly quickly. Like they're just going to move on in quick succession, and then yes, Krista can get her Jeep. And yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I think about that every day because Gavin turns three <laughs> in September, and I. I'm not like I have baby fever and I want another baby really bad, but also I can't imagine first trimester pregnancy with my child right now. <laughs> I think yeah. I would just yeah. die. Yeah. Um, It'd be rough. Yes. But, so yeah. now that Hakeem is four and looking to go into, mm-hmm. s- to start school, were there specific things that you were looking for? I know you said before we started recording that you had spoken um, had a meeting about what you wanted included in his IEP. Were there mm-hmm. were those all typical things, or were you looking to add something specific to him? Um, I think, I mean, I, ideally, he would go to the DD four program in Broken Arrow, where he's going to be in a class of kids who are kind of the same diagnosis, same skill level, same like things going on so it can be more tailored to him specifically but Katusa doesn't have anything like that and Broken Arrow is probably not going to accept any transfers so we sat and we we're like okay what what would do we want to ask Katusa for basically to feel comfortable with him going to class and gotcha. we decided we didn't want him pulled into the special education room because the way they do it for I guess it's pre-K through third at that building this year as they just have one room that's kind of like their self-contained room and then I guess the other kids who get pulled out like go there if they need to well that means he could be in there with kids who are ID kids who have autism kids who have a physical disability possibly that they couldn't be in the classroom they're all just in one room and Hakeem mirrors other kids I don't know the right word 
but right. like he'll follow other kids, whatever they're doing. If he's with Naya, he's going to act like Naya. If he's with Nika, he's going to act like Nika. And like, I don't want him marrying any other behaviors that could potentially like make him regress or anything. And I don't want him just on an iPad and they're calming down. So we're like, okay, he needs to be in that room only if he is like completely dysregulated and like disrupting the main class more than a typical pre-K kid would. And so we went to his meeting and we're like, ideally we would like him to be mostly in the general education classroom, ideally with a para that can kind of help redirect him because he is going to need a lot of redirections because if he sees a butterfly, he's probably going to chase that butterfly because he wants to go play with it and see what happens. And he doesn't understand danger. He doesn't understand that if he cuts his finger with scissors, it's going to hurt and like harm him. He doesn't understand that he can't run out of the building doors because he saw a car that he liked or that he can't climb the fence at daycare or at recess or he can't go off with a stranger that's in the hall. Like he doesn't understand any of that. And so we went in just telling him like our main concerns are danger basically of he doesn't know how to do school safely. So somebody has to be watching him. And I know teachers like, yeah, we watch our kids, but even with two teachers in the room, you can't have your eyes on 20 kids that are learning how to do school at that. I think our biggest thing was just let's put him in gen ed with the option of going to this bedroom if needed when he needs to regulate or calm down or take a break, but get him back in the gen ed class as quick as possible. Because academically, that was part of his last testing was like letters and numbers and like whatever academics of pre-K kids are supposed to know. And he was pretty much on level for that. He knows letters, he knows colors, he can spell his name. I don't think he can write it, but he is pretty much on level academic, maybe not on level, but close. Close. Yeah, that's great. And so we want him in in Jenna as much as possible because he truly does love to learn. That's that's a good thing. And did your meeting consist of just the SPED teacher and Krista, or did you have the special ed director, the principal involved? This was a staffing. It wasn't technically his IEP meeting because I think they said uh, the system they do their IEPs are down or something. I think the special education teacher was going to be there, but she was out because her kid was having a baby. And so I ended up meeting with the special ed director I think she was yes Paula she was wonderful and the school psychometrist and then Krista was there by the phone because Naya and Nika were sleeping at home well I'm glad that at least that meeting was a good experience and it sounds like it's just it's so hard because we have to advocate so much for our kiddos and I mean it's worth it and it's necessary and needed but it's that doesn't make it any less challenging. So I think all of that sounds great. I mean, if he is, you know, on par with other students um, with his cognition and his ability to learn, then Mm -hmm. the regular classroom is where he needs to be. And I know that it's, IEPs are a lot of paperwork and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of political nonsense involved. (laughs) They're also expensive and time Mm -hmm. consuming. And 
because of that, there's sometimes some pushback on them. Also hard to get transfers for kids on mm-hmm. IEPs. Sometimes like if, if one school isn't able to provide services for your child and they, ha- they have to pay to transfer them elsewhere. To, so that would include yeah. like their transportation, the child's transportation to and from. And so then yeah. it's you know, a crazy lot. situation. It is a yeah. lot. So we wanted to kind of go back and cover the therapy side of things with the challenges and like the considering what life looks like with a child with unique Yes. Therapies. Okay. And I think it kind of ties into like when we got Hakeem evaluated, because like I said, we had gone back and forth, like, is this trauma? Is this autism? Is this trauma? Is this autism? And even after he got his diagnosis of autism, we still kind of went back and forth because like I said, they spent maybe 30 minutes with him and read through some paperwork that I filled out. We're like, yeah, it's autism for sure. Like, and I'd ask like, okay, like I'm a trauma therapist. I studied, I've looked into this. It mirrors it very, very well. Like you're confident that this is autism. And she said, well, I would love to be wrong. So we'll just have to like wait and see basically, but I'm pretty sure it's autism. It's like, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. The services will be the same. So it doesn't matter what his diagnosis is basically. I think the actual him getting the diagnosis wasn't like a defining moment for us. And it was more of like a whole process of trying to like figure out what it was because I think adopting him from foster care, we knew there were going to be challenges. It wasn't like with Naya and Nika that we're fully expecting, like everyone pictures their kid and like, Oh, we unknowingly put these expectations on their life of like, this is what it's going to look like. They're going to be, nobody thinks, okay, yeah, I'm going to have this kid and they're going to have autism and they're going to have these challenges that no one really society doesn't accept. And that makes it a little bit harder to parent them. And so we not, we weren't expecting that with Hakeem. We were expecting him to have challenges, but I think it became more real. Um, as I remember, we got one of those giant wagons and we were going to go see the Christmas lights. And we got the wagon specifically for Hakeem because he gets very hyper and it makes it very difficult to be out in public, especially with three kids. And so we were like, we're going to take the Wonderfold. We have this big all weather cover that kind of like encloses it. And so it's like a safe place on wheels, <laughs> but we, it was our first time using it out in public and we still, we had never gone to see the lights. Have we gone, have we gone to see the lights with them before? So it was first time going to Ramo, which is crazy anyways, not knowing how Hakeem was going to react. We have this giant wagon that's hopefully going to work as a safe place. And I don't like having attention on me. And so driving this massive wagon through Rama and everyone made comments about it. And I just remember being so nervous that either they were going to judge us for it or judge Hakeem for being in a stroller because he's older and doesn't need to be in a stroller anymore. And, uh, I had a session with my therapist after that and was like, you know what? It ended up doing like really well. Hakeem stayed in it. He stayed as calm as a kid that loves Christmas lights is going to. He was safe, but we successfully made it through Rama. Didn't have to leave early. Hakeem was safe the whole time. Naya loved it. We loved it. Nika possibly loved it if she was born by him. (laughs) But I just remembered like I was so anxious the entire time that we were going to get judged for either Hakeem being Hakeem or being in the wagon and him being too old. And when I was talking to my therapist about it, she was like, you know what, you did what you had to for your kid. 
if they're going to judge you, like basically, so what, why are you worried about it? I've been working with this therapist for a while. So she just tells me like, tells me how it is and kind of calls me out when I'm worrying for nothing now. But she was just like, you have to do what's best for your kid. And having that wagon was best for your family. And so after that session with her, I kind of always check myself, like, are you doing what society wants you to do with your kid? Or are you doing what's best for your kid? Because I think that a lot of times our expectations for our kids are based off what society thinks should happen. Well, society thinks that they should grow up, they should get married, they should have kids, they should go to college, they should do all these things. And that's not realistic. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen with every kid. Some kids aren't going to want that, whether they're neurodiverse or or, not. Yeah. Like your expectations aren't your kid's responsibility to live out. Yeah. Love that. That that session with my therapist and that experience with Hakeem kind of changed my whole work as a therapist and going to telehealth because telehealth with kids is extremely difficult. (laughs) And so I wanted to start seeing adults more anyways. And I just kind of realized that like parenting is so hard and every parent is struggling. I I won't say every parent because I don't like talking in absolutes, but most parents are struggling because it is hard to raise kids. And I see through things through like a trauma lens, I guess you can call it. And I think it's so hard for parents sometimes because we do have these expectations of our kids that we won't let go of because we don't even realize we have them and doing the work with my therapist and realizing that, okay, well, my expectations of what my kids are going to do, that's my shit to deal with. Like, I don't need to put that on them. And it's almost like you have to grieve the life you thought your kid would have. And that's okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to realize, oh man, my kid may never move out of my house. My kid may need help with like self-help things the whole rest of his life. It's okay to be sad about that. Nobody, I don't think anybody has a kid and is like, man, I hope I have to help them get dressed for the rest of their lives. People don't think that, but I think once you learn and start to realize like, okay, like my kid is special needs. They are going to need more help than the typical child would people. Parents tend to think like, I have to accept it. Like I have to put the smile on and be a super advocate for them. And just like jump in wholeheartedly with a smile on my face. And that's just not realistic. Yes. You should advocate for your kid. Yes. You should like try to learn everything you can about whatever diagnosis or whatever is going on with your kid, but you don't have to be happy about it. 24 seven. We're humans. We have emotions. It's okay to let yourself grieve what you thought it was going to be like, what your family, like you pictured your family. I pictured going on vacations with my family and everyone being happy and just like having a good time. And we haven't gone on vacation with kids yet because I have no idea how Hakeem's going to react. Right. And like, that makes us sad. Krista was talking about it. Like we want our kids to experience these things, but I don't know. It's, it's scary. Yeah. I've had a few experiences lately that really changed my perspective on parenting too. You know, COVID was really bad and um, 
I went to the extremes. I joke around and say that I was like the CDC's poster child for following everything. So Gavin didn't do a whole lot of activities for a long time. He had speech and OT at our house. And besides doctor's appointments and then going and seeing our safe people, that was about all we did. And then I decided to put him in tumbling because the class was really small. And um, at that point, numbers were starting to decrease um, Mm -hmm. in a way that I felt comfortable. So he started tumbling and the first week he did great. The second week he cried the entire time. And I tried everything to get him to regulate didn't work. We had also just started swim lessons. We started swim a week before tumbling because like you were saying earlier about Hakeem not understanding, you know, if I cut my hand with the scissors, it's going to hurt. So I shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. Gavin doesn't have a healthy fear of anything, um, <laughs> not even, not water, especially, yeah. especially. So um, I wanted to make sure that if he was going to be near water, he knew how to treat the water. So yeah. we started swim first week went great. That second week went great. That third week, which was the second week of tumbling when he melted down, he melted Mm -hmm. down again in the pool. Yeah. And while I tried to regulate him at tumbling, I didn't at the pool because it was unsafe. Mm -hmm. I can't handle my wiggle worm child melting down in a pool of water. It's not going to work out for either of us. So we left, we left the pool, but a couple of weeks after that, he was having a bit of a rough day. He didn't melt down the entirety of tumbling, but near the end, he was tapped out. So we get home. He takes a nap. He eats lunch. He's very cranky. He doesn't want to do much of anything. And so I sat there and I'm like, do I take him to swim? Do I even waste the gas to drive over there? And then I made myself stop and think about it for a second. And I was trying to limit him. And I was trying to make a decision on how he was going to react versus giving him the chance to do the thing he likes and to see how it went. And so we went and it was the best swim day that we had had. He followed directions. He did all the things. It was great. And so whenever I stepped back as his parent and instead of acting on what I assumed was going to happen and giving Mm -hmm. him the space to prove me wrong. And he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about, you know, it's not our children's job to live up to our expectations. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Um, On the flip side of that, I've always said that I, Gavin can be anything that he wants to be except for an asshole. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. They have to be kind. Yeah. Our only, that's our literally our only rule is our kids have to be kind. I don't care what they do. I don't care who they marry. I don't care what gender they want to be, but you're going to be nice or we are going to go round and round. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. If, Yes, absolutely. And I try to model that behavior myself because with our kiddos, I really feel like modeling behaviors are going to, is the most effective way for him to learn, but he can be anything he wants to be. He can do anything he wants to do. I just want him to be successful, whatever that looks like. Yet, you know, you still think about the day that your child gets married or the day that they graduate from high school or being there when they, those milestones that were so big in my life, I looked forward to experiencing those with my child if they wanted to have the same things. So it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that my child was likely autistic Um, because I hated the thought that every little thing that he faces is going to be challenging for him. 
-hmm. And that may not be true, but in the moment when I was feeling all those feelings, that's how it felt. It felt like, you know, he's already struggling to do this basic thing that you and I do all the time. And that's to communicate. And so if he's struggling to learn how to do this thing, how much is he going to struggle learning how to do other basic things? And I say basic communicating is not basic. It's hard, especially when you speak our language, it's really hard, but we don't remember learning how to talk. We just learned how to talk. So, yeah. yeah. And that was, uh, I, when I was pregnant, even before I prepared myself, you know, this is what I need to know about breastfeeding. And if I happen to have to formula feed, this is what I need to know about that. And this Mm -hmm. is, you know, when he should be rolling over and when he should be walking and when, and all these other milestones, I never stopped to think about all the teeny tiny little skills that we have, that we don't remember gaining, Mm -hmm. even playing as a skill. And, um, that was my family's, my, I think, I think my dad, Gavin's pops, I think his struggle is when he thinks of playing with his grandson, he thinks of, you know, tossing the ball back and forth or, um, you know, shooting hoops or going and fishing or going, you know, mini golfing and all these other things. And I just keep having to remind him that Gavin can play too. He just plays differently than we do. So when he comes over to you and he's finger juggling seven different farm animals from his little town or seven balls from his ball pit, and he's just juggling those in his fingers, Mm -hmm. ask if pops can have a turn. And then you do the same thing that he's doing. It's not going to be fun for you. You don't care about finger juggling his toys, but he's going to think that you're getting into his world and that's where Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to grow with him. And that's the same thing with Hakeem. He, he loves to dance and (laughs) his dance right now is a stretch break to Mickey Mouse. And he does this goofy little arm thing. I don't even know how to explain it, but only Hakeem can do it. And Krista like did it during that part of the song that he always does it on. And Hakeem was like, thought she was the coolest (laughs) thing. He literally like stopped and had the biggest smile on his face. Because Krista was doing this goofy dance move that I don't even know. It's it's a Hakeem thing. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but he thought it was the coolest thing that she was doing it like with him. Yeah. We just have to meet them where they are. Yeah. And to see the world the way that they do sometimes, kind of mind-boggling. They see things yeah. so differently than we do. And that's kind of a blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but- that's... I think that's part of like what I like about Hakeem so much is that he doesn't care. Like he, he, he truly has the ability to do anything like physically. And he is very smart academically. I just don't think he cares. He's in his own world and he wants to do what he wants to do. Like he doesn't care if he's potty trained, that's not important to him, but he definitely wants to dance whenever he gets too excited like that's important to him. So that's what he's going to do. And literally nothing we try is going to stop it. If he wants to do like, he just, he doesn't care what people think. And then that's wonderful. And that's something everyone could learn, learn from him. Definitely. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Gavin rocks back and forth on his hands and knees a lot. That's one of his stems when he gets kind of overwhelmed and potentially overstimulated. And so Mm -hmm. in tumbling, he'll do that. But now it's almost like 
he recognized that um, his his tumbling class is mostly neurodiverse kids. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple of typical kids there, and um, like he now goes over into the corners or he goes to the wedges where nobody is at to kind mm-hmm. of regulate. And I don't know if that's because he noticed that the little girl was looking at him or if that mm-hmm. was just me noticing that the little girl was looking at him or if yeah. he just like wants to be away from people. Either way, I, I don't care. His stimming doesn't hurt anyone. Is the, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, a lot of us stim without even thinking about it. I'm sitting here playing with a hair clip. The difference yeah. is, is we're, we're in public situations. If somebody looks at you and they're like, why are you fiddling with that? You're going to stop yeah. because yeah. they're looking at you weird. But Gavin doesn't care either. He's going to keep yeah. doing it because it makes him feel good right now. Yeah, that's true. And, and for um, me, that's another, um, that's another challenge for me as a parent, especially with the thought of Hakeem starting school and not being with us all the time is how are other people, especially adults that don't have the knowledge that we have going to interact with him when he does his goofy dance, when he does something to regulate himself. And like when she was talking about expectations, I was very into sports as a kid. My expectations (laughs) when we got hockey (laughs) was he's going to be this little pro athlete and I'm going to start in T-ball at four years old and just be this all around sports guy. And I think I've come to the realization that he does not have an interest in that. <laughs> and I've accepted that he wants to pop bubble wrap instead of throw the ball with me or kick the ball. But I think what I've ran into recently, because he is at the age where sports minded people think that they should start their kids in sports is that I've had to have conversations of, well, why aren't you getting him into sports? He doesn't have an interest in it. He doesn't have an interest in it. And this may be me holding him back, but I am terrified of this parent coach mm-hmm. that more than likely has a neurotypical child in the sport coaching him and not not respecting his differences that terrifies me and it and I very well may be holding him back he may be the next Babe Ruth I don't know (laughs) (laughs) but I think that is another expectation that I've had to kind of loosen on but also something that really is a challenge still for me with him potentially leaving the house to go to school soon Mm -hmm. is how is he going to be treated especially by adults, because he's only had us and his grandparents around him since he was eight months old. And obviously we we cater to his every want and need all the time. And I think this age is just going to be really hard as a parent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking into some options for Gavin and I feel like it's going to be harder for me than it will be for him because he's been my whole life for now almost three years and mm-hmm. I have a very short list of people that I trust with him yeah. and once he started displaying greater chances of being on the spectrum my list shrunk even a little bit mm-hmm. um, and so putting him essentially handing my child over to somebody else to teach and raise him for multiple hours a day I um, on the sports topic, just super fast. Uh, 
they uh, look into Special Olympics if it's something that you're interested in. They typically don't start until the age of eight, but there are some young athlete programs that are open to children with any kind of, quote, intellectual disability. Um, Autism falls in that even if, you know, he's not in a special education classroom um, mm-hmm. as early as three to seven years old. And there's all kinds of sports. You name it, it's a sport in Special Olympics. They do horseback riding, which I really want to look into when Gavin's a little bit older. It's a great therapeutic tool. Um, they do horseback riding and volleyball and softball and swimming, and basketball and track. Gavin could be a track star. He loves to run. Um, if we lived somewhere where it was cold, they have cross country skiing. I think, um, talking about like letting go and like, how are you supposed to trust other people with your kid? I think if Crystal wants to, she can share our, uh, back to school experience on here because we were like, okay, we're going to let go. He's going to go to preschool. And then it backfired real quick at back to school night. Yeah, I, I can share that experience. Um, it was extremely upsetting. Kayla and I had had the conversation multiple times, kind of prepping ourselves for him to go to school and just say, like, you know, we need to let them know that he doesn't really have fears. We need to just put a blanket statement. He doesn't know danger and kind of everything else let go of and like basically don't hold him back, let him try everything and see how it's going to go. So prepping ourselves with that, we went to back to school night to meet his teacher. Um, Right off the bat, we realized that she was talking to everyone in the room, but us so much so that at one point she was standing by herself, not talking to anyone because she had already greeted everyone in the room, had already given information to everyone in the room, but still had not even so much as said hi to us. And there wasn't, there may have been 10 people in the room at the time. So it wasn't, it wasn't packed. We weren't lost in the crowd. Yeah. Um, So kind of right away, (laughs) my guard goes up is why is she not talking to us? Why has she also greeted every single kid in the room that's going to be her student in a couple of days, except for Hakeem? Um, Kayla had went over to her and was kind of giving her some information about his IEP because she didn't have that knowledge yet that Hakeem was going to be on an IEP. And just I was standing back kind of observing the conversation and she was visibly upset. When Kayla mentioned that Hakeem would be in her class, but he would be on an IEP. So that was kind of red flag number two of the very short span of time that we were in there. Finally, because she still had not talked to Hakeem yet, I went and grabbed Hakeem and brought him over to her and said, Hakeem, say hi to your teacher. And he said, hi, he was just wanting to go play with toys though. And she turned to Kayla and said, is this Deshaun? assuming that our black child's name was Deshaun because she had a Deshaun on the class list list as well and it just it was basically all the microaggressions that you could fit into a 20 minutes (laughs) time span she somehow managed to fit every single one of them in microaggression that is 
the perfect word to explain how the things that I would have assumed in that situation. First, I would have assumed, you know, same sex couple. And then I would have mm-hmm. assumed black child, white parents. And then I would have assumed same sex couple with black child who happened to be white, like a combination of all of the things. And mm-hmm. oh man, that's a really that's- fun game to play. Is she racist? Is she homophobic? Is she mad because he's autistic? Or is she just having a bad day? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or is it just a good old combination of all of the things? Yes. One and thing that's I'm grateful to for- trust our son to know if he's going to get stuck in the other classroom all day or is he gonna get ignored or is he gonna run out the door because she's not paying attention to him because she doesn't like him because he's black autistic or has gay parents yeah (laughs) yeah I guess the one thing that we kind of luck out on as parents of autistic children is Hakeem was probably not affected by that even a little bit he didn't care And he doesn't have to experience the disappointment and the pain and the anger that come along with situations like that because Mm -hmm. he, he, he doesn't care. You know, Gavin doesn't care that somebody stared at him. He doesn't care that, you know, they think that he's being disrespectful because he didn't, you know, look at them and make eye contact or say hi back because he won't. We're kind of lucky in that way. We can protect the. We don't even have to protect them from the disappointment because they're already numb to it and I think that's it's kind of a kind of a hidden perk I definitely think that he just was like excited almost that she was leaving him alone because he could go look at the fish tank and play with the little iron that he had it just is like it's hard for us the example she's setting in her classroom inclusion is not a theme that's going to be taught and while yes, he probably won't pick up mostly on kids ignoring him or the teacher ignoring him as a mental health okay therapist. Either. I think he hundred percent, I, I think, I know he still has feelings and I know that he can, he will still pick up if this continued to happen day in and day out. And I think right. while at back to school night, he was completely oblivious that it was happening. But if it, if, if we allowed him to go to school and be in this teacher's classroom, he would pick up hit he may not cognitively, but feelings wise, I think his feelings would get hurt and he would learn that they don't care what he does and like that he's ignored and left out. Yeah. And I totally agree with, I I agree with you there. It's uh, I guess that's where our protective instincts get to kick in because then we know not to put them in that situation again. Um, Yes. The first time unbothered, but the second time, shame on me for allowing it to happen. I'm just, still I'm really sorry on- that that's, <laughs> what? I said, still shame, still shame on the teacher the second time too. They need to do <laughs> Absolutely. better. But yes, shame on us for sending them. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, it's really ridiculous. It reminds me of, and it's not necessarily the best example, uh, but have you watched the show Parenthood? Yes. yes. Yeah. So when... Max is in the history class and it is Mm -hmm. his nature to always want to be right. And he didn't understand why he had to wait to be called on um, or when he put his hand up, et cetera, et cetera. And then she would just send him to the library every day. Yeah. Yeah. Because she didn't want to quote deal with it. That's scary. Uh, Trust me. I am his parent. There are times where I don't want to deal with it either. (laughs) 
he's <laughs> having a bad day. He's crying. Yeah. Nothing I'm doing yeah. is working. And I would love mm-hmm. to just be able to not deal with it. But I'm, I'm his parent. I don't have that option. Yeah. You know, we have to deal with it yeah. then and there. Yeah. And it's, it's sad that educators aren't better equipped and prepared to handle situations like this. Definitely. They're not interested in being better advocates, which makes the great teachers, you know, even greater, but yeah. the burnout in special, special education is insane. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's less than five yeah. years. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that it's less than five years, which I don't know what that says about my mom, considering she just started her 31st year of teaching <laughs> special education. <laughs> I don't know. Um, oh, do you just want to talk a little bit about how, about how your background and and counseling has influenced your parenting style and in turn, how that's helped Krista with her parenting style, considering, you know, we all grew up with authoritative Gen X boomer parents. (laughs) Yes, I think um, definitely my job has changed every aspect of what I thought parenting was. I think you definitely hit the nail on the head. We grew up with boomer parents who quote unquote, did the best they could, did the best they knew how. And I think I got education through my master's program of how to work with kids and in return, put it into my parenting of, I guess it'd be what you call gentle parenting, which is just respectful parenting, (laughs) but, or parenting in general, but that's another, that's another episode. (laughs) Um, But I think I learned all of that in grad school. Like, and my trainings that I've done since graduation of your kids are just human. Like they're going to have bad days. There are some days where I wake up and I'm just pissy that day. And I may be hateful. I may do something wrong. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to have a bad day. And your kid from zero to whatever, whenever you want to qualify them as an adult, they're going to have bad days. They're going to have emotions. They deserve respect and they deserve empathy and they deserve to be taught and have the chance to learn without instantly being punished. For sure. I think the thing that changed, because I I don't have a background in counseling or my degree is not in therapy. However, I've done a lot of therapy myself and I've read a lot. And I think the thing that changed my perspective on parenting completely is when I stopped and I realized that there are times that I, as a 30 year old woman, do not handle my emotions well. And Mm -hmm. I'm a grown adult. So how am I supposed to expect my child to handle their emotions better than I can? It just doesn't make sense. Their brain's not even formed. Like I could talk about this again for days. Your kid's brain is not fully formed. They are not capable of sitting still They are not fully capable of handling their emotions perfectly. They cannot do it. Your brain is not fully formed. Stop expecting your kids to be little robots. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The the whole mentality of uh, kids should be seen, not heard. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. Throw that in the trash. Get rid of it. Um, I'll let Krista say her, her take on my parenting because of my counseling career and then I'll add something else to like the therapeutic side of this. So she definitely lets me know <laughs> all of her knowledge. She will, she will tell me. I will impart that on her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
she will she will share her knowledge anytime which I do appreciate because I don't have that background and I am not emotionally intelligent myself (laughs) (laughs) I will be the first to admit that so um I definitely appreciate that she has all of this knowledge because just like everyone else, I want to parent my kids the best to my ability, but the, we did the best we could doesn't fly unless you are actively researching, actively just being a, basically a lifelong student as a parent, unless you're doing that, you're not doing the best you can. And, um, like I said, Kayla's my constant teacher. (laughs) Um, but I think on the flip side of that, I think, especially with her having all of that knowledge all the time about what she should be doing as a parent, it becomes really hard for her because she's human and she's with her children 24 seven because, we don't we don't go anywhere we don't do anything (laughs) she has them all the time and like you were saying earlier sometimes we don't want to deal with it sometimes she doesn't want to deal with it but with her background she has all of the knowledge all of the time floating through the back of her head of what she should be doing and it's a constant um bar she set for herself as a parent and I think sometimes she feels like she's not doing good enough because that she's exhausting. <laughs> because because she's so exhausting. Because she can't reach that bar. So I think it's more of a blessing than a curse, but I think it definitely has its downsides at times to be a therapist who has so much knowledge with children, especially to be a parent of three kids that are with her all, all day, every day. And I feel like that kind of leads me into like the last thing I wanted to say from like the therapeutic perspective is, so yes, I'm with my kids 24 seven. They literally wake up screaming for me. They fall asleep saying, mama, 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 come here. Come sing me another song. Come read me a book. It's like, it's constant. I hear mama. I'm so thankful that Hakeem says mama now. Like it's great. I'm so thankful that Nika's starting to say mama even though sometimes she calls me Dada, which is weird, but whatever. <laughs> I love hearing it from my kids. And like, I I will not take that for granted. I'm not gonna lie. There are days that like, if they didn't want to say it, that'd be really cool too. Because <laughs> it's definitely exhausting to be needed 24 seven. Yes. And there are days that I am locked in the pantry eating chips <laughs> because the door locks and I just want a minute to myself. Nutella if we have it that's preferred but you know I'll take what I can get but I think that is what I want to say to parents who are listening typical child neurodiverse child whatever step parent parent your kids are going to trigger you you're going to get mad at them you're going to want to explode you're probably going to explode because no parent is perfect that's okay if you did something you feel like you should apologize for apologize And then step back in, like check yourself almost and say, okay, where is this coming from? Why am I so angry? When I did my EMDR training, the lady told me that it was at least 85% of your reactions come from your past experiences, your past traumas, and only like 10 to maybe 15 
come from what's actually happening in the present moment. So when you're getting, I know when Naya started needing me constantly and wanting to sit on me all the time and wanting me to be the one to do everything, like that was extremely triggering. And I was, I told Krista, I was like, I have to go see Lindsay, my therapist. She's the very best, but, um, I like, I, I have to, I have to go do a session. Like I am getting so triggered by this. It's making me angry. It's making me not want to be around them. And so I went and did it. We did EMDR again. If you're getting triggered by your kid, go find an EMDR therapist. They will fix it. It's amazing. Do what? Just quickly say what, what does EMDR stand for? It is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. Reminding you of like situations that just so that everybody can understand. It's like um, to help remind you of situations that you've been in and how you could uh, handle them or like what's the, what's the overall goal of that type of therapy. It's basically just your brain's like natural way of healing any past trauma. And when I say trauma, I don't mean like, oh my gosh, I was in this car wreck that was like so traumatic. And I lost my best friend sitting right next to me. It can be as simple as, Oh my gosh, I remember when I was three and I begged my parents to buy me this outfit and they didn't. And they said it was a stupid outfit and walked off. If that was important to you and somebody like denied those feelings, that's trauma. That's what I'm talking about. When I say like trauma from your past, it doesn't have to be this big traumatic thing. It can, a lot of us have experienced big traumatic things. That's definitely trauma too, but EMDR just kind of helps go and and clear anything that's still stuck in your body somewhere. And I do a really bad job. So if you're listening to this, please Google it and just know that it's so much better than I sound. When people ask me about it, I say it's magic it helps you heal. It is, I've been, I've done so much therapy in my life. It is the fastest, most effective therapy I have ever done. I went and got trained in it. And that is the only way that I want to help my clients through traumatic experiences now, because it is so effective. It has a success rate of like 85%, whereas just talk therapy is like 30%. So it's, it's good. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for explaining it. Um, and I've, I've definitely seen things and I see it in myself too. Um, when Gavin spills something, is that really that bad? No, but my brain goes right back to, well, if you were paying more attention, you wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. He's two and a half. He doesn't like the, the biggest flip switch in my brain that ever happened other than, um, you know, about feelings was realizing that my two and a half year old does not have impulse control. And that's because he's two and a half it has yeah. nothing to do with any diagnoses on the flip side of not having impulse control. He also does not possess the ability to explain why. Mm-hmm. So when he does something that just seems so silly to us, like he gets mad and ransacks an entire table and knocks everything off onto the floor. My first instinct is to say, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. He can't tell me. And that has nothing to do with him not speaking yet. He really doesn't know. Thought sounded like a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So if I quit, you know, worrying so much about why right now, why can come later? Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities where why will be a valid question. But for Mm -hmm. now, it's not. So, well, let's clean up the mess now instead of automatically going to the punishment mindset. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that 
I struggled with was that like, I was taught that when you do something wrong, you get a punishment, you get a consequence now from all of my like education, I guess you'd call it is they may learn better if you just teach them like, Hey, we don't throw our food in the floor. We leave it on our plate and just say, I'm all done or stuff like that. And I think there are times and place for consequences. Definitely. I not so much about punishing, but I think consequences, definitely. I'm all about natural consequences. Yeah. You're going to fall off the couch and get hurt. Oh man, your head hurts now. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's a natural consequence. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely the same. I think this is wonderful. Thank you for um, re-recording. I, we've got to get a different microphone because the buzzing from that one is just insane. So one more point I want to drive home to parents is that kids need a happy parent, not a perfect parent. And you have to take time for yourself. We make time for a thousand appointments and it's so easy to say, I don't have time to do my own therapy. I don't have time to relax. I don't have time to think about do anything (laughs) for yourself, read a book, exercise, whatever you have to make time as a mental health therapist. I am telling you, your kid is going to do better if you are happy than if you are trying to do everything perfectly for them. Kids need to see a like mentally healthy. I'm not even going to say happy, not happy. Kids need a mentally healthy parent. They don't need a perfect one. So take time for yourself, make time for your own therapy. I promise as long as you get a good therapist, you are not going to regret it. 